0: Hello! Welcome to the Healthy Habits Happy Home Podcast, hosted by the Guelph
1: Family Health Study. If you're interested in the most recent research and helpful tips for healthy, balanced living for you and your family, then this podcast is for you. In each episode, we will bring you topics that are important to your growing family and guests who will share their expertise and experience with you.
0: Our quick tips will help your family build healthy habits for a happy
1: home. Welcome back to the Healthy Habits Happy Homes podcast. I'm Tamara. And I'm Marcianne. And today we're excited to have Dr. Lana Vanderlee join us. Dr. Vanderlee is an assistant professor of nutrition at Laval University. Dr. Vanderlee's research focuses on examining the impact of population-level policies and interventions that influence the food environment. Dr. Vanderlee's research aims to identify ways that the public and industry stakeholders can promote healthier diets among Canadians and globally. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Vanderley.
2: Thanks so much for the invitation. I'm happy to be here.
1: Amazing. We're really excited for our conversation today. And to get us started, can you tell us a bit about yourself, your current role, and how your education and experiences led you to where you are now?
2: Sure. So I am an assistant professor at Université Laval in Quebec City, and I'm also a researcher at Centre Centre Nutrition, Santé et Société uh, here at Université Laval in Quebec City. And so I lead a research program that really aims to understand and evaluate food policies, how food policies influence what we buy and what we eat and how healthy we are, in particular, in in an effort to uh, prevent and reduce obesity and other diet related non communicable disease. And so I have a PhD in public health from University of Waterloo. And then I did some postdoctoral research at University of Toronto and again at University of Waterloo before I ended up here in Quebec City.
0: That's awesome. And what important research. <laughs> and I feel like I I would love to, I know we're focusing on a few things today, but definitely love to speak with you more just in depth about all of your research. Um, and I also just love hearing you speak French. Um, my family and I speak French at home, but I'm originally from the States. So it's usually like English and Spanish. So coming here and seeing everything in English and French is really cool. <laughs>
2: Uh, Great. I recently learned French when I moved here to Quebec City. And so it's uh, a major challenge. But working in the world of policy, it's certainly nice to be uh, to be bilingual now.
0: So exactly. Mm. My first question is, what are nutrition food labels and how are they used? So. Nutrition
2: food labels or the the information that we find on on food labels is actually one of the most commonly used sources of information for people living in Canada. So we often use the information on foods to understand if a food is healthy, if we want to buy it, how it might fit into our overall diet. So on food labels, we find quite a bit of different types of information. Obviously, there's the obvious, the nutrition facts table. That's the information that's really controlled by Health Canada. It's required on all packaged food, and it tells us specific nutrient nutrient amounts as well as percent daily values. so how much there is in a serving of food. So really, this is the required information that has to be on all food products. There's also other information that's required, information about the ingredients and allergens for people who want to know a little bit more about what's in their food. And then there, the other element of nutrition information on food labels is nutrition claims and health claims. So this is information that is voluntarily provided by food companies, members of the food industry. It's meant to showcase, I guess, products that are higher and Nutrients that we want to consume more of, or lower in nutrients that we're trying to avoid. And so these claims are often used by the the food industry to market the information, uh, market their products, I should say. And uh, they are somewhat controlled by Health Canada in terms of what information is allowed to be on products, but it's not always sort of controlled or regulated by Health Canada.
1: Yeah, but thank you for providing that overview. I think it's um, really important that it kind of sets the stage for our podcast today. And I'm just curious if you could comment at all on like the prevalence of how many people really use nutrition food labels in Canada. Like are Canadians looking at this? And to just give a bit of context for this question too, I am a dietitian, and so a really big part of nutrition education in our sessions. We talk a lot about the nutrition facts tables and reading that. And so I'm just curious if throughout your research and your experience in this area, if you have come across anything um, that kind of gives us an idea of how many Canadians are looking and reading at this information.
2: When we do surveys among Canadians about the types of nutrition information that they use, nutrition labels are the most frequently cited as uh, a source of nutrition information, so they're very, very commonly used, and I expect that's in part because we see them all the time, you know, we see them in the grocery store, we see them on our shelves at home, and so we're we're very often in the presence of nutrition labeling, and so that's probably why people use it so often, and I, I can't give you a specific statistic, but it's certainly the most commonly used source of nutrition information in Canada.
1: That's amazing. That's 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 wonderful to hear because it is such a great source of nutrition information. So that's really awesome that Canadians are looking at it.
0: Can you explain what front of package labeling is and a bit of the history on the evolution of Canada's food labels? Sure. So the information
2: that I was talking about, that nutrition facts table, historically, that's that's on the back of packages, So it doesn't have to be on the front of packages. Consumers don't see it when they're walking down the grocery store shelves. For example, they have to pick up a product, they have to have a look at it, and then they have to to try to understand and interpret that information. And so in the world of food labeling policy, We have been moving towards this idea of of front-of-package labels. Essentially, front-of-package labels take the information from the back of the package and put it on the front so that it's easily accessible for consumers either when they're buying it or when they're about to consume it. It's not quite as just as simple as putting the information from the back to the front, but also front-of-pack labels aim to make that information a bit more interpretable, easier to understand for consumers. I have a PhD in public health and I work in nutrition. I think about nutrition pretty much all the time. And yet those nutrition fact tables are incredibly hard to interpret and understand. And so the idea with front of pack labeling is it includes some symbolism or some ways for us to interpret that complicated nutrition information and make quicker judgments or have a better understanding of whether a product is, is healthier or less healthy. And so in Canada, up until last year, we didn't have any regulations for front of package labeling. And so food companies could really use any style or type of front of package label or a front of package symbol to share information with consumers. But as of last year, we now have a new policy, which is going to make uh, mandatory front of package labels on the front of food products and I had a really great week this week because I saw my first front of package label on a product so that was super exciting I got really excited in the grocery store my husband got really embarrassed Um I had to take some pictures because <laughs> we've been waiting for a really long time for for this policy to come into place and so as of January 2026 all products in Canada that are high in sodium, sugar, or saturated fat are going to have to show that on a symbol, a black and white symbol on the front of food products. And there's a little little magnifying glass as well, which is meant to indicate to consumers, have a look at the nutrition information on the back, and it's going to say high in, and it's going to have those nutrients So that's essentially what our front of package labeling landscape
0: is going to look like over the next few years. That's awesome. I I would have the same reaction. I would be really excited as well. And my partner would probably look at me weird, but I, I think it's phenomenal That Canada is adopting this policy because, you know, from personal experience, I have family members who struggle with diabetes or hypertension, and it can be really hard to make those, you know, food kind of decisions on what to eat. And then to understand, just like you said, if you with a PhD can find those labels tricky, you know, the everyday person, they have also found it a struggle as well. And so I think just pointing it out, making it more manageable is gonna be so helpful. And hopefully we can see the management of these chronic conditions be easier. Hopefully we can see just the the prevalence of it decrease, things like that. And then just as a health professional back in the day, it was also I, I can understand how patients with these chronic conditions were exhausted just on managing this on a daily day to day basis and all that they have to think about. And so this can ease a lot of those frustrations and burden for them to have this information more digestible.
2: That's a great point. And the three nutrients, we call those the nutrients of public health concern in my work. So sugar, sugar sodium and saturated fats, those are all really linked to those non-communicable diseases that we were talking about, about diabetes and obesity and and some types of cancer that we know are related to diets. And so the labels are actually based on that information on the back. Any product that has higher than a 15% daily value, is considered a lot or high in in Canada uh, as part of Health Canada's sort of messaging around healthy foods. And so for most products, that's what those symbols mean is that it has a, a product has greater than 15% of the daily value for those three nutrients. And so that's quite high and we would want to try to avoid it if possible.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so with that, how is front of package labeling important in guiding consumer choices? And how does it impact public health as a whole?
2: So we know that front of pack labeling is one of our policies that can help to contribute to healthier food environments, which we're going to talk about, I think, in a little bit and and healthier food policy. But it does help support informed consumer choices. So Consumers don't have to base their choices on the information that we have on the front of packages, but at least what front of package labeling does is make that information easily accessible and easily interpretable for the general population. We know from scientific studies and from what we've seen with similar labels in other countries, consumers do in fact change some of their behaviors. They're less likely to buy foods that have these warnings. You know, we know that it does influence consumer behavior. You know, consumers have a right to know what's in their food and they have a right for that to be uh, clearly communicated. And so those are sort of two of the principles. But the other thing that I think we often forget to talk about in public health is that front of package labeling, like the ones that we're, uh, we will have in Canada, can also influence the food industry. And so that's really great news because if I'm a food company and my product has to carry a high in warning on the front for sodium and sugar and saturated fat, and consumers might not want to buy my products because of that, I might be likely to reformulate my products to create healthier products or to take some of the sugars or sodium out. And we know from research that in other countries that does indeed happen, that we see slowly the food supply shift towards a healthier food supply because food companies don't want to have those labels on
0: their products. That's encouraging to hear. I think just, again, just being around family members who who can struggle with different chronic illnesses, that has been a conversation that we've had a few times just about, like, in some ways, the responsibility of the food industry. And so I think that this is going to be amazing to kind of hold them accountable and make it more clear what exactly is in our food and how can we make it more nutritious. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to the positive impacts that this front of package labeling can have how does Canada's approach to front-of-package labeling and regulations compare to other countries? That's a great question.
2: So there are a number of different approaches that that governments are taking in order to try to communicate better to consumers. So this high-end symbols, or sometimes they're called warning symbols, that's really evolved in Latin America and Central America. So in Chile and Mexico, for example, those countries have already had these type of policies in place for a couple of years. And so that that really informed a lot of the policy decisions in Canada, what was happening in, in Mexico and Chile, but also Israel and Peru and others. So a number of other countries do have this type of warning symbol. Now, they don't always have this magnifying glass. Many other countries opted for stop signs to sort of also be an element of symbolism, to symbolize, you know, stop and have a think before you uh, before you eat or purchase this food. But this idea that these are sort of the warning symbols. And the nice thing about this policy is that it's mandatory. So other countries like Australia has a health star rating system. And I think we as a society have become quite good at rating things with five stars, whether it's our you know, our our Uber driver or our meal or our Netflix show. And so the idea in Australia is that five stars is good and zero stars is bad. So they use a a health star rating approach. In the United Kingdom, they use traffic lights where uh, they have some select nutrients on the front of package. And if it's green, it's good. And if it's red, it's bad. And if it's yellow, it's sort of moderate. So there's all sorts of different approaches they have different pros and cons um but canada's is really the only way so far we've seen that's become sort of a really uh, mandatory policy i guess sorry i'll add that also there are logos that some countries use so just for a healthy product if it has an overall healthier nutritional profile and some countries have a voluntary logo that companies can put on their products. It seems to me that we're moving away from that a little bit to, to providing a bit more information that's a bit more interpretable. Yeah, that's that's sort of where we're at globally.
1: It's really interesting to actually hear about how countries around the world have tackled this and what approaches they've taken. And yeah, it's it's interesting. The symbols like the magnifying glass here in Canada, the traffic lights, red, yellow, green. You know, the stop sign. It's interesting how there's so many different approaches that have been used across the world, but it's really nice to see this like front of package labeling thing take, you know, precedence and importance here in Canada because it just makes it so much easier on the consumer, I think. And I personally actually really love that it's a magnifying glass. I'm just kind of thinking, like, as you know, a dietitian, what, what kind of like implications with the traffic light approach, green, red, yellow, and how that could kind of influence somebody's relationship with food. So I kind of appreciate that a magnifying lens is almost a bit more neutral in that sense. And I think it's really amazing how we do have this mandatory approach now in Canada too.
2: Yeah. And it is hard to, to balance because, for example, we know that consumers are actually more likely to take note of something if it has color but the food industry doesn't particularly like red warnings. And so there were a lot of conversations around that. And, you know, there's public health evidence and there's food industry influence. And what comes out at the end is sort of a a policy. And, you know, in Canada, we're the first... English-speaking high-income country to have a mandatory front-of-pack labeling policy, and so that's a big deal. And, and globally, we're going to learn a lot about it. Well, we have a great opportunity to evaluate and understand how consumers use it, how it might change behaviors, and hopefully, eventually, how we can improve our own policy so that we can, you know, make it really intuitive for consumers and really help for that to be a part of their decision making.
1: Yeah, that's a really, really impactful way to put it, actually, like what a massive opportunity this is for us and how much we're going to be able to learn from it, too. So we did kind of touch on earlier, hinting at that food environment piece. So can you explain to our listeners what a food environment is and how does front of package labeling fit in?
2: When we use the term food environment, I'm really talking about all of the things that influence what we buy and what we eat. And there are a number of different factors that influence our food environment. So things like the cost of food, things like the marketing of food, things about something fundamental like the nutritional quality of the foods in our food supply. Obviously, that is a major influence on how healthy our dietary patterns are. And we can even think more upstream to things like our trade and investment policies. So how does our our global trade or international investment influence the foods that we have in our surroundings and the foods that we buy and the foods that we, we serve to our families on our tables? And so food labeling is just one piece of this larger food environments puzzle. And we have obviously a lot of work to do because it's a pretty challenging food environment to navigate right now. And so, you know, as I mentioned, front of package food labels might be one piece of navigating that, uh, that environment. But obviously, there's a whole lot of other policies that that we need to look at in Canada, so that we can help make healthy choices easier and make healthy dietary patterns easier
0: so true I I appreciate you explaining that and even um, just bringing to light that our our decisions around food is complicated like there's a lot of factors that go into it I've heard sub messaging like just be healthy or just you know pick up an apple and it's like well is the apple available is it marketed well like all of this what's the price of the apple compared to a pop tart you know there's so many factors that go into why we choose uh, the foods that we do and so I just appreciate you uh, bringing that to attention. Now, children are often the target audience for food marketing. So how does marketing influence their food preferences?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So obviously, food marketing is, is a big component that influences children and adults. In fact, it influences all of us. And we know that for lots of um, scientific research shows us that. but For me, one of the biggest ways to show that is because the food industry invests billions of dollars each year in marketing food to us, which must mean that it works because they wouldn't invest billions of dollars if it didn't. For children, you know, globally, there's quite a lot of discussion starting to to go on about how we can better protect children from food marketing because it does influence Their food preferences, so it influences what children want to buy, what they ask their parents for. We call that pester power. When kids see foods marketed to them in particular, or foods that are made really appealing to them, they're much more likely to ask their parents for it. Whether it's in the cereal aisle, I know that's the story of my life with my two uh, young ones at the in the cereal aisle, or at the checkout in a million other places throughout the day. And so we know that it certainly influences their preference or their attitude towards food. So they they think that things would taste better or they are more likely to want to buy it. And we also know that it influences their consumption as well. So if they see food marketing that's targeted to children, kids are more likely to consume more of a food product, for example. And, you know, children are a really important group to consider when we think about marketing because when kids are young that's when they start to form a lot of their dietary patterns that will stay with them throughout their life course. And we also know that children they create these relationships with brands throughout their life course. And I'm sure you know you and listeners can reflect on some of the, you know, those classic characters that we have seen on in grocery stores forever. I'm thinking about Krakaka, Snap Crackle Pop from Rice Krispies or Tony the Tiger. These are great examples that historically they've been around for a very long time. And we know that they they are are tempting for children. Children, they create these brand relationships and then they, they love these products. They're more likely to eat them. And the Last thing that I'll just add on that is that we know that typically foods that are marketed to appeal to children are often the less healthy ones. So not always, but we find that the vast majority of foods that are marketed directly towards children are, in fact, less healthy options.
1: Yeah, for sure. And you know what you uh, mentioning how we have these like brand relationships, like you mentioned Tony, the tiger. I'm like, I remember that. I remember like the Kool-Aid man. And like, I remember there was these commercials, you know, Saturday morning watching cartoons. And there was like for gushers, I think that's what they were called. And they're like, heads would like turn into fruits and then explode. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever as a kid. And so it's like, I still remember that now. And I'm sure too, with children, now, I mean, for us, it like for myself and for Marcian, yeah, you know, it was mostly from TV, like watching cartoons and like those commercials. But now children are exposed to, you know, social media, right? Like there's so many more ways of getting that marketing across that it's kind of interesting how much more there is to it now, right? Beyond just TV.
2: Absolutely. So we're, we talk a lot in, in this space about digital food environments because they are mm. a bit trickier in terms of, you know... Yes, technically, Facebook, you know, you can't have a Facebook account if you're under 13 years old, or you can't have a a TikTok account or an Instagram account. But we know that's not the case. We Mm -hmm. know that younger children often have those accounts so that they are exposed to a lot of social media. You know, kids are on YouTube all the Mm -hmm. time. Sometimes at school, for example, there's school assignments where, where kids are on YouTube searching for things. And so, Yeah, it is a a really, the environment is changing. You know, we also talk about outdoor advertising. So in bus shelters and things like this, there's so many places where kids are exposed. Don't get me started about hockey, um, little Timbits hockey. And, (laughs) you know, I understand and my kids are in sport. And I think that it's incredibly important that those sports are supported. But it just seems unfair that we have to do that by putting a logo for a food company on their back. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah,
0: that's so true that I actually brought to mind uh, an example that I remember one when you were talking about the cereal aisle that brought back so many memories. I pestered my parents about it. And again, being from the States when I came here, they were like, oh, your cereal aisles are amazing. I didn't realize that like we had so many more like varieties of cereals, which isn't always the best because there there was a lot. Um, One of my favorite cereals as a kid was literally like I think it was called cookie crisp or something. It's just chocolate chip cookies that you add milk in a bowl and you eat it. But, you know, even as you were bringing up uh that, first of all i've never heard of pester power and that makes so much sense and then in the sports realm you know it is supposed to be the promotion of like a healthier lifestyle and physical activity but you know usually it's like pepsi coke food companies are the are the big sponsors and i remember years ago famous soccer player ronaldo had like soda in front of him and he put it aside and he drank water and i remember that whatever soda company it was whether pepsi or, or coke took A huge hit in profits because you know the the viewers were like, oh wow, maybe I should drink water. And so, just like you said, um, they're putting in billions to invest in marketing because they know it works. And then also, if people really show themselves making the more nutritious choices, how much more that can really have an impact on consumers, especially children, because a lot of those those fans grew up watching those soccer players, which means they started watching as children. And so that was just a really important topic that that you brought up. And so with that, I wanted to ask what regulations exist restricting marketing to children in the context of food?
2: So currently in Canada, marketing restrictions are limited to actions that the food industry is taking on a voluntary basis. So the food industry has a marketing code that they, it's a self-regulatory approach. They pledge that they'll follow it, that they won't market food to children under the age of 13. And oftentimes regulations are aimed at children under the age of 13 because there's quite a bit of research to show that certainly younger kids aren't able to really distinguish between what's advertising and what's truth, what's real. And so they aren't able to understand that advertising may be trying to target them in some ways or try to influence them. And so the food industry right now regulates themselves, except in the province of Quebec, where here since the 1980s, they have a Consumer Protection Act in place that doesn't allow any marketing of anything at all, directly to children under the age of 13. So we have a bit less marketing of food to children because of that here in Quebec. But essentially, other than that, it's really just the industry saying, oh, don't worry, we won't market. But, you know, we just talked about this cereal aisle, which is full of marketing to kids. And so, you know, there are perhaps some instances where the food industry does limit their marketing to young children but it it's not in fact working all that well and so yeah. health canada is actually in the process of trying to establish so they've proposed a policy that would restrict some marketing of unhealthy food to children that's still under quite a bit of discussion and it would only cover TV and digital marketing mostly. So it wouldn't include for example product packaging, it wouldn't include product sponsorship. There's some other challenges with that what the proposed regulations that Health Canada has, you know, asked and is consulting about right now, but there is certainly some discussion happening at the federal level to see if we can try to restrict some of that marketing to children.
1: Yeah, and that's great to hear that there is kind of some some uh, movement there, and that's yeah, like that's kind of crazy to me that it's on a voluntary basis. Because just going back to that like cereal aisle example, like all of those characters on all of those colorful boxes, like who like those aren't targeting adults, right? Like that's pretty clear who that's who that's kind of aiming for, and so it's it's a really important area to get involved in and and for sure it's great that they're doing these consultations and especially with the ever-expanding digital market as well digital marketing sorry excuse me there's so much more to it there and it's just so much more accessible. And so it's so easy for children to come across these ads and the and the products and these characters and everything like that. So definitely hoping to see a bit more traction on that. I know it can take a long time for something to become a policy, uh, but it's good good to know that it's getting some traction. And it's great to hear that Quebec actually has that Consumer Protection Act. It's nice to see that they're they've kind of taken those steps. To protect i guess everyone actually it's not really it's not limited to an age there it's oh, sorry
2: it is it is just children 13 and under but it's for all products so oh, okay they can't advertise toys directly to children as well or clothing for example so it's really just reducing all marketing directed to yeah. children which is great yeah but i'm just going to add one little thing it is great and a lot of the global policies really do focus on children who are 13 and under. But I just want to mention that, you know, while we know that that children are because of their stage of cognitive development, that younger children may be more vulnerable to marketing. It's important to add that some research shows that even up until the age of 18, that children are. I say children because we often we refer in my work up to uh, for everyone up to the age of 18 are children, Mm -hmm. Um, and so that even adolescent brains, for example, are still somewhat more vulnerable. And also, I think we can all kind of imagine adolescents in their social situations are also incredibly vulnerable to external influence. And so there's also you know, a need for us to think as a society, I think, about how maybe we can limit the exposure of marketing of unhealthy food to adolescents as well. So, you know, Snoop Dogg might not be attractive to my three and five year olds, but Snoop Dogg might be attractive to a 15 or 16 year old. And, you know, so some of those elements of how we can protect older children as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. And this kind of brings up uh, something kind of more recent in my head. And this is totally probably like a whole other podcast on its own. But I'm just gonna say it now with like the prime energy drinks, like and how heavily those were marketed to adolescents and like the craze that it created based off of the social media influencer that was promoting this, you know, caffeinated beverage. <laughs> it's It's just so important to think about it. You're right, not just under 13. But up until under 18 is really important because adolescents are very much so influenced by these yeah, things as for well. Sure. And so what can parents do to empower their children to make healthier choices despite all of these influences?
2: Yeah, uh, it's a tough question. And in a way, I, I dislike the question. And I only say that because I hate to think that it's parents who should be responsible for having to you know, limit the influence of marketing on their children. So let me just say that outright that I really think that this is something that the government or governments need to focus on and that it shouldn't fall into the laps of parents. So uh, parents solidarity on that one. But I do think that there are some ways that, you know, parents can help to make their children more aware of some of the food marketing and actually health Canada as part of Canada's food guide there is a section on how you can talk to your children about food marketing so increasing their awareness just so that they know that you know why are these fun characters on foods while they're doing it because they're really trying to make you want to like it and and talking to kids about that and that's not i'm not an expert in that but there are some resources that i could point to in canada's food guide that could be useful for parents when they're thinking about food marketing for themselves and for their kids
0: Thank you for that response. Honestly, when you said that, I was like, "That is so true." I think that you know, there's a lot of responsibility that's put on consumers, and I'm so glad that there's policies that are happening or in talks that are that are trying to put the responsibility back on the producers because it's very, very difficult to have you know these these billions of dollars worth of commercials and their athletes they look up to and influencers they look up to and social media posts that look cool and engaging and then mom and dad are like "Mm, this might not be the best choice and it's like but but (laughs) like uh look at all that i'm i'm they're being fed and then just like you mentioned before even the social aspect of it as well i think more than food, uh, like you mentioned, with what Quebec is doing, the clothes, the the toys, if you don't have it, there's a sense of like social uh, exclusion, because you, you don't have what other people have, you're not consuming what other people are consuming. And so I, I think that your response was, it was great. I I really just appreciate that because there is a lot already put on parents just in general with trying to keep their kids alive and happy and (laughs) healthy and growing up that, you know, there there needs to be some responsibility put back on those who produce these things and who advertise and market these things. So I just appreciate that.
2: And, you know, you bring up the the social element of that and Now, I'm just going to tell a personal story, but my five year old is in kindergarten. And so she came home from from school. And the other day, do you know what bear paws are? I do. Yes. (laughs) Yes. The parents definitely who are listening know what bear paws are um, because they are, you know, these perfectly little packaged, not particularly healthy cookies that are so easy to have in your purse, or to put in your lunch, and I try not to have a lot of bear paws in in my world, but I do. Uh, the other day, my daughter came home, and she just said, mom, everyone in their lunch had bear paws today, and I was the only one who didn't have any bear paws. Oh, like, am I making my child a social outcast, because I'm trying not to have those those foods that have You know the marketing directly to them and it's just those social you know that's hard as a parent too but yeah it's not fair to me that that's my my job you know i'm trying to to make healthier choices and it's just extra barriers which we all know we already have enough barriers to making healthier choices and, and supporting healthier choices for our kids yeah
1: for sure you know parenting is hard enough right like it's it's hard enough there's a lot on parents plates Um, And this certainly doesn't feel like it should be another thing that needs to be on their plates, but it's just a bit unfortunate now, I think before, until we get those kind of policies in place and, you know, the food industry navigates the new policies that come into play too. It's unfortunately going to be something that, you know, parents continue to have to deal with, but it's definitely not easy. To close out the podcast, we like to give families three practical take-home tips So considering all the topics we've discussed today about nutrition labels, healthier food environments, and informed food choices, what are three tips that you can share with our listeners to help them make informed food choices, especially in the context of the new food regulations and the ever-changing food environment?
2: Sure. So three things that I think might help parents. So as I mentioned, the new front of package labels, we're going to start seeing them appear in stores, um, but they're not going to be on all products until 2026. So, I think in the meantime, we actually do have the information that's going to be on those already in the nutrition facts table. So, if parents are looking at that nutrition facts table and trying to figure out, oh, is this good or bad, we can use the percent daily value information. Those are the little percentages on the right side of the table. And to see if a product has a little or a lot of a nutrient. And so, the front of pack labels have sugars sodium and saturated fat, and so if a product has more than 15% of the daily value, in general, you can think that it probably is pretty high in those nutrients, and so you might want to have a second think about it. So that would be my first tip. My second tip, this is a little bit of a less practical one perhaps, but you know, there are lots of products that don't carry food labels that can be easy and healthier choices. So, I'm thinking about fresh fruits and vegetables, and you know, apples and bananas and oranges, they already come pre packaged, so that's nice. And they can be easy to, you know, throw in a lunch or a purse. And sometimes I think for me, my head automatically goes to throwing in a bear paw into my purse instead of throwing in an apple, which usually they kind of make it out in the same state. There are some products that I think we can all agree on that are healthier like fresh fruits and vegetables these are kind of no brainers and so finding these types of foods that work for your families and your kids they're you know not at all processed they don't have any added ingredients those are sort of easy ones to identify and to buy if they fit within sort of your family's practices so the last recommendation is just to be kind to yourself uh, we just talked about how parenting is hard. And the truth is, with all of the academic research that I do, it's just so clear to me that making healthier decisions is really hard in our current food environment. And so until we have some of these policies and practices in place to help support healthier food decisions and make those easier or default choices, small efforts here and there will add up and and can have a really positive impact on your health.
0: Great tips. I I really enjoyed this conversation and I took a lot of notes. I I took a lot out of it. And we really appreciate you coming on our podcast and speaking with us. We, We gained a lot from this conversation.
2: Well, thanks again for the opportunity to be here.
1: You've provided us with such helpful tips and we really hope that our listeners can take away some of these useful tips that you shared, especially to be kind to themselves. You know, navigating the food environment is certainly not easy. So thank you again for joining us on the Healthy Habits Happy Homes podcast and we'll see you next time.